OU began fall practice last Saturday in Norman. Following day one, Lincoln Riley offered up a little nugget about the Sooners' defense that caught my attention. Riley said, from an offensive perspective, the defense is making it pretty difficult on the guys when it comes to turnovers. Armed with that information, Tuesday night after Oklahoma's fourth practice of the fall, I asked tight end Grant Calcaterra if he's noticed the defense making it more difficult on the offense this summer and early on in camp. Yeah, they're they're making a big emphasis on stripping the ball. And, you know, as an offensive player, it gets very frustrating. You know, you catch a ball and literally 11 dudes are punching you. So it's like it gets frustrating, but at the same time makes you better. So um, I know we're all excited uh, to see what they're going to do this year. And we know that it'll help us as well. Have you experienced that in any of the games you played, like any of the teams you played? Like where hey, this kind of feels like when I played Texas or you know Alabama? Have you felt that before? Absolutely not. This is definitely the most I've been tried to strip. Uh, ball's been stripped, tried to strip for me. So uh, I think it's going to be deadly on the field. Well, here we go, everybody. It's begun. Quote: I think it's going to be deadly on the field. End quote. Deadly. I got to admit that soundbite. Gets me a little excited. Now I know, I know, it's fall camp. OU hasn't played a game yet. OU hasn't proven anything yet. But it's not just Grant Calcaterra who's noticed the defense looks and feels different. C.D. Lamb has seen it too. It's kind of aggravating, but that's what you want in your defense, uh, to aggravate the ball carrier, to get in their head. But for them guys to be on my team, I mean, I can't really do nothing but play ball. So, And every day in practice they bring it, so we just got to match that energy. Have you experienced that kind of feeling from any other teams you've played in the first couple years you've been here? Oh, not necessarily, simply because uh, in practice everybody's, everybody's flying to the ball and uh, it's, it's, it's been a different kind of feeling, different kind of feeling around here in the air and uh, the defenses, they've done a great job with that. C.D. Lamb, Grant Calcaterra, two guys who are going to be playing in the NFL next season, they're annoyed and aggravated by what the Sooners defense is doing to them in practice. Good! There's a different kind of feeling in the air. Good. Different is good. Alex Grinch sounded different the first time he spoke to the local media in January. From the jump, he stressed the importance of turnovers. Grinch said the number one goal of every single play was to get the football back to the offense. That was refreshing to hear at the time, considering Oklahoma was coming off maybe its worst year ever when it came to taking the football away. In case you forgot... The Sooners forced 11 turnovers in 2018. 11. Meanwhile, Ohio State, where Grinch was the co-defensive coordinator, forced 23 turnovers in 2018. And from 2015 to 2017, when Grinch was the defensive coordinator at Washington State, the Cougars forced 24, 23, and then 28 turnovers, respectively. Remember last fall when seemingly every single week Mike Stoops and then later in the year Ruffin McNeil was asked how Oklahoma could find a way to force more turnovers? The answer was always the same. Some version of telling us that the Sooners ran through turnover drills every day in practice. Well, under Alex Grinch, it sounds like every single rep and every single play in practice is a turnover drill. That's different. And different is good. And exciting. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. But now they've got it. Phelps. Phelps is going to take it to the five. Touchdown. That was quarterback Kelly Phelps going 37 yards for a touchdown against Missouri back on November the 13th, 1982. Out of the wishbone, Phelps simply ran behind the right guard, then trucked the safety, and then sprinted the rest of the way for six. OU went on to beat the Tigers 41-14 that day. Kelly Phelps, he's a quarterback for Oklahoma, obviously, and I was not aware of him before today. He went to Putnam City High School in Oklahoma City, and he was just the third person from Oklahoma City to ever play quarterback for the Sooners. Some 25 years later, Sam Bradford became the fourth OKC native to quarterback Oklahoma. little Sooners history for you to begin the show today. Hey, everyone. Once again, I am Lee Benson. Grant will join me here in a moment. I'm sure he's got some thoughts on the two sound bites you heard in the opening take. In fact, this show will be full of sound that we've gotten from Oklahoma practice and at least one bite from Media Day the past week. 
Before I bring in Grant, I'd like to just point out that we've received many nice reviews and ratings in the iTunes store the past few weeks. Really appreciate all of you who have taken the time to leave some feedback and the kind words. It means a lot to Grant and I. Those reviews and ratings certainly do help us in the iTunes store, and it makes it to where the show is more prominent when there's people out there who's looking for more Oklahoma content and also just college football content, so our show will be more uh, prominently featured whenever people search for it. Also, you can now find West of Everest on Spotify. So if you're somebody who'd rather listen to podcasts on Spotify, but you've always had to switch over to iTunes or SoundCloud for this show, well, you're in luck now. Just search for West of Everest and Spotify, and you'll find us pretty simple there. All right, let's bring in Grant to see what's going on today in the great state of Minnesota. What's going on? I don't know. It's hot today. Is it hot there, too? That must be why they're practicing at night, right? Yeah. Yeah. Once again, we're recording this a little later than normal on Wednesday early evening. Normally, we record Tuesday early evening, but uh, Tuesday night, Oklahoma practiced at night, and now uh, as we record this on Wednesday, as far as I know, the Sooners have not practiced yet today. That's another night practice. Yeah, it's really hot here. It's... I was like uh, the mid nineties and the humidity is like up over a hundred degrees. Gross. Well, it's it's not that bad here. It's like uh, it's like high eighties and it's like uh, the humidity is kind of. It was worse yesterday, but not as bad today. But I can't do the heat anymore. That's why that's why I can't live in Oklahoma. That just sounds so awful in August. But um, yeah, I mean from June to about October, I just sweat. That's all geez, I do. That's yeah, pretty that's gross. Pretty it's pretty, pretty hot. Pretty hot. Um, I don't know. So I, I was, uh, I was having trouble sleeping last night and kind of perusing around Twitter. Were like, were they having media availability at like eleven thirty last night? It was uh nine thirty. Okay, because I, I, oh, I suppose it makes sense. Like, because I, I saw all the videos and whatnot. Maybe those were just posted after the fact, but it just yeah. yeah. I didn't, I didn't start tweeting out some of the stuff I got until about eleven thirty because. I was grabbing stuff and sound for the podcast, and I thought, oh, I probably should put some of this stuff on Twitter because there's a lot of good sound that we got Tuesday night, and we'll play some of the some of the sound bites. You already heard two of them at the top of the show. Before we get into what C.D. Lamb and Grant Calcaterra said about the defense, let's just address the elephant in the room, and that's Trey Norwood. So here's the deal. I'm going to lay out what we know to be true publicly. Sooner Scoop reported on Tuesday that Norwood did not practice Tuesday night. Also, the report included that he was on crutches. I was at Tuesday's media availability, as we just talked about here a moment ago. Full disclosure, I didn't see Norwood while I was there, so I can't confirm the Sooner Scoop report myself. But in my opinion, I will say, based on what I do know, I do believe that the report from Sooner Scoop is accurate. Kerry Murdoch from Sooner Scoop and also the Sports Animal in Oklahoma City, the radio station, he did ask Oklahoma for a statement Tuesday night on Norwood, and Oklahoma said there would not be a statement. So officially, no word from the Sooners on Norwood's status. And finally, Mark Schlebaugh from ESPN reported Wednesday morning that sources told him that Norwood injured his knee in practice back on Monday, and it's unclear if Norwood will be able to return to the field this season. That's what we know right now that's public. Doesn't sound good for Norwood, but until we get something official from the team, I am not going to speculate on the severity of what's going on. So, Grant, I will open up the floor to you, though. What are your thoughts on all of this? Fortunately, I am not part of the media, so I can speculate on the severity of the injury. Going forward, uh, I pretty much every discussion of this or any discussion of this will be uh, under the assumption that Trey Norwood has suffered a serious knee injury and will probably be lost for the season. That's just what I'm assuming at this point in time. Um, just look at all of the warning signs. OU's not saying anything. If it was no big deal, they would say so. Uh, Trey Norwood has probably suffered a significant knee injury. Yeah, it doesn't sound good. So I think a big reason why we weren't able to get anything out of practice Tuesday is because it was offensive players and assistant coaches talking Lincoln Riley did excuse me Lincoln Riley didn't talk and Alex Grinch didn't talk Riley's scheduled to talk on Friday so I would not be surprised if uh we find well I mean he's going to be asked about it on Friday unfortunately I will not be able to be there this Friday because I am going to a wedding this weekend in San Diego so uh, I will unfortunately miss the media availability Friday but uh, I assume somebody will ask about Trey Norwood and we'll find out more then officially but yeah I mean yeah if it's if it's not a good thing for Norwood, and if he's out, let's say, 
I think he qualifies as one of the Sooners' best five defensive backs. So the idea of him missing games to me, I don't like that. But at the same time, I don't think Norwood's a make-or-break player on defense for the Sooners. And I think you could argue that in the secondary specifically, nobody really has established themselves as a as a player that is a like a make-or-break kind of guy. So... You know, like I said last week, I'm just really intrigued by how the secondary develops from now until week one. Yeah, and okay, so you and I have been kind of going back and forth on this off the air, you know, the last couple days about this, about, you know, whether or not Trey Norwood, whether or not this is a large blow. I suppose you did a pretty good job, I think, of of having the the measured take there by saying, at, you know, currently you think he's he's one of the five best defensive backs, but also that him going down doesn't necessarily spell doom and gloom so allegedly i guess allegedly go down uh, allegedly but i mean like i said i he, he's down he's not he's not playing this season um so according to you according to grant um <laughs> but at but at the same time and i know it's become sort of cliched amongst sooner fans people yelling at their TVs and whatnot but i i Trey norwood is just a guy he has i think he's put more bad tape uh, or he's, he put more bad play on film than good play. Um, I think Trey Norwood's legacy up to this point has been he provided relative stability in the, uh, I'm not going to say the absence of Jordan Thomas in 2017. He, you know, he had to come up and, and play for Jordan Thomas because Jordan Thomas was that bad. And just by comparison, he looked that much better. And then last year, I thought he had a really good game in the Big 12 championship. And then other than that, he has been at best an average to below average player for Oklahoma. And I just, I don't think that they're going to struggle replacing his, his production with Jordan Parker or any of the, the heralded, any of the heralded freshmen or anything like that. What they're losing allegedly in Trey Norwood, I I just don't think is that much of a blow. And that's not to say anything about him as a human being or anything like that, or as a, as a person, it's just, it, strictly judging his what he's what he's put on film thus far in his career and really the same can honestly be said about pretty much everyone in the secondary except for Trey Brown if we're being completely honest to me a healthy Trey Norwood so far at Oklahoma what he has done he's shown an ability to be a really good guy in coverage and it's kind of interesting though that I know that you don't agree really with what he did in 2018 and he's just a guy to you and I think it is kind of interesting, though, that, yeah, I, I suppose there were some more down plays in 2018 compared to 2017. And that kind of goes along with that vibe of Oklahoma secondary players in the last few years where their debut, they're pretty good, they're pretty solid, but then they kind of deteriorate over time and aren't as sharp. I do like, though, that Norwood was able to be such a flexible player in 2018 and they moved him to safety position because they had need there because the safety position was so bad in 2018 and he was able to move there and play well so the fact that he's flexible enough to move around and he's been working with the safeties in fall camp when I was out there on Monday morning Norwood Norwood was with the safety group not with the cornerback group so they're looking at him as a safety which I'm not surprised I figured he's moved from corner to this the safety position and in my mind, wherever they needed somebody, wherever there was like a weakness, they were just going to throw Norwood in there and say, hey, you got this because we're confident in you. So that's why it's – if he is out, if he does miss time, it's just I don't like it because I think he's such a flexible type player. And uh, I just – I like – I wanted to see him in the Alex Grinch defense as well too. I think that would have brought out more of his strengths. I, so I, I hope, just – I don't – I, yeah, I these suppose – reports aren't wrong, but – Yeah. Know, when these I mean, things I, happen, I guess, it seems like they always are kind of right, the reports. Yeah, I guess I'm just I'm just not seeing it. Uh, he just was not, by my eyes, an impactful player really in the secondary at all, for the most part. Completely lacks any sort of physicality. Um, can't tackle. Just I, I, you know, he's he. You know, hey, maybe yeah, I would have been wrong. Maybe he would have could really tackle. Yeah, sure. And but you know, yeah, maybe he was not the great. He was not a very good tackler. Right. And agree. and maybe you know maybe if. If, if he is healthy or if he would have been healthy this season, he would have come out and had a great season. I don't know. But, I mean, based on what has, what he's shown so far, it's, this is just this is not a killer. It isn't. His his production level up to this point has, has not been to the point where we need to massively worry about this. Although I do worry about, about the person, the kid. I hate the fact that he has to go through this. That really sucks. Because by all accounts, he seems Allegedly. like a really good dude and a, you know, and a hard worker. So. He is, yeah. I, 
you know, I asked him at media day. I was like, hey, man, like, where are you been playing? And he didn't – he said he's been playing everywhere in the secondary – or at the safety spot. And I said, oh, so it sounds like you're kind of just a Swiss Army knife of, of the secondary. He said, yeah, that sounds about right. And that's, and, and that's valuable, you know, in itself. But, geez, I, I, he can't tackle. And, and I know that's not I'd, – I'd much rather have a corner or a defensive back who can cover. But – and I know you think that he was – he's a guy who can cover. I, I didn't see it, like, at all. So – I mean, he was um, very good at coverage in 2017. I mean, he was the only guy in the secondary that would turn and look and find the ball and make plays on the ball. He had more pass breakups in half a season than, than Jordan Thomas had in, like, the last two years. Do you think maybe it's because people just wanted to throw his way? Well, they stopped throwing his way. I mean, I don't know. He, I thought he was good, man. He was – outside of uh, – I remember there was a play against Oklahoma State where he just kind of got washed out and Justice Hill ran for, like, a 100-million-yard touchdown run and he just looked lost. That stands out to me as bad. But that's just tackling. I mean, in coverage, where it's incredibly important, he was – I thought he was a good player in coverage or, you know, the last couple of seasons, but we don't have to talk. I think we've talked way too much, honestly, about Nord because we have tons of sound to get to. That's pretty interesting, even though if this is true, this is uh, it's not great. I mean, it's not great whenever a guy potentially goes down this quick into camp. Sure. But, yeah, uh, and, yeah. And and I think, yeah, the human the human response is, is honestly just to be like, oh, oh, no, embrace brace for more because it's so early and it kind of feels like more shoes are going to drop, but that, I mean, that's, that's being superstitious and there's no reason really to believe that, Yeah. but it, it does suck. Like, especially if he's a guy who they were going to move around a lot. I think that's, that's certainly valuable, but we'll see. I, I, again, I really, I really do think they're not losing much in terms of production. I mean, they literally had the worst pass defense in college football last season. Again, nothing official from Oklahoma on Trey Norwood's status. Lincoln Riley will talk on Friday, and he will most, most certainly be asked about Trey Norwood, and then at that point, I'm sure we'll get an update. All right, so the Sooners' defense is super active in practice, according to Lincoln Riley, according to Grant Calcaterra, and according to C.D. Lamb. You heard Calcaterra and Lamb at the top of the show in the opening take with what they have seen from the defense. Uh, Grant, I'm assuming you've either heard or you've read those quotes from those guys did that stuff get you excited like it got me excited? Excite yeah, I mean it's it's nice. It's a nice change of pace for sure. Um I definitely echo your sentiments from the opening take and just saying it's cool that it's different and that's awesome. Um so because I if you know, if you watch this program the last well, basically since Mike Stoops has been here, it seems like they just kind of rolled out the same stuff over and over again and they would say, you know, hey, we're we're this close and it's we're almost there. And it was obvious that, no, you're not this close and you're not almost there. So I, I'm, I'm glad that I, I'm very glad that they're trying something different. But honestly, the first thing that I thought of when I heard that was, man, I hope they're working on tackling, too, because that sounds like a terrible recipe for for tackling to me. But if yeah, it, that's interesting, interesting thing to point out. I agree. But also at the same time, like I I want them to take take the ball away. That's the great equalizer. And um you got to practice it, I suppose, but it's it, going for like fumbles and strips and whatnot that, eh, I don't know. Uh, there's, there's a lot of data from a lot of years of football that suggests that a lot of that is just straight up luck. And so I, that's honestly what I think. I, I don't know if they should be working on trying to strip and get fumbles. They need to be. Oh, I, they disagree. Need, ah, I disagree. I disagree. I don't think it's all the best bears defenses back when Lovey Smith was the coach there and you know, I don't think Lovey Smith's that great of a head coach, but he knew how to coach defense. They always had really good defenses there. And that was the thing they always did in practice. And I always heard about was how often they were just always get the ball, get the ball, get the ball. And they forced a bunch of turnovers back in those days. Charles Tillman obviously was one of the best at it. He would just punch out the ball so many times. And he was so and good at that. Yeah, I hope I'm wrong, obviously. But I don't know. I, I, I'm more of the person. Be in the right spot and take advantage of, of bad quarterback play. Intercept passes. Turn your head. That's, I mean, that that's that's where you're going to get the most opportunities to turn the other team over. And also, you know, if you, for instance, if like you force a fumble like on a strip sack, that's that's skill. That that's something that that you force, man. Uh, in a pile, a running back running between the tackles, a lot of the time, uh, a fumble is is straight luck, and that's just the that's just the truth of the matter. So I think a reason why the defense is beginning after it so much on the offense and everyone's flying around so fast. I mean, that's kind of the message you hear from these defensive guys. We talked to them Monday is that this scheme 
is just so simple. We heard from Brendan Radley Hiles, heard from Roy Manning on Monday about how this simple scheme just allows players to fly around and make more plays. And when I first heard these guys talking about that, I immediately got flashbacks to the second half of last season when Ruffin McNeil came in and supposedly simplified things for the defense. And aside from the TCU game and then also the Big 12 title game against Texas, Oklahoma's defense was pretty awful with McNeil as the defensive coordinator. And to me, simple didn't necessarily mean better the last half of the year for Oklahoma's defense. And generally, I'm a fan of the whole simplicity, the simple part of defense, because I don't my defensive players just thinking too much out there, because if you're bogged down mentally, it's going to make you a slow player. But I am more confident in Grinch's track record with this type of defense. So I'm kind of telling myself that Grinch has had success in the past at multiple spots. So that's what I'm trying to tell myself to make myself feel a lot more positive about this simple approach. And we've actually got some sound from Alex Grinch coming up soon in the podcast about this type of defense and how it's actually elevated some certain players to elite status. So uh, Grant, your thoughts, does, do you get a little concerned when you hear about the simplicity of this defense after what happened last year whenever apparently Oklahoma's defense was simplified and it still wasn't very good? Yeah, I kind of, I, I have slightly similar thoughts like that, especially even, you know, McNeil last year was even saying that they were going to unleash the defensive line a little bit and let them play one gap and whatnot, but that that didn't really seem to happen at all. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know. I a lot of the times I'm, I'm I'm sort of toeing the line on this one because I think a big part of success in the Big 12 is throwing out kind of creative defensive schemes and if something is super simple I, I don't know how how you know how possible that is it seems like a lot of the times they're just they're going to want to go your guy against my guy let's see who wins which is kind of what they've been doing but also I I I'm going to wait and see the product that they put on the field on September 1st because otherwise you know, I, I don't know what it looks like yet. Yeah. So it's, sure. it, it's hard. You know, I was, I, I was listening to the Sooner Scoop podcast before, you know, before coming on here and, um, they were saying a lot of the same things too about, about, I mean, for the last nine months, all we've been talking about is what can this defense do to get better? And they all said, we, we don't know. They just need to play better and we'll know. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll know on, we'll know when they play Houston. Because I, I just don't know what it's going to look like yet. I, I think it's going to look a lot different. I think especially the way that the the front moves and and how they're going to try to stem and stuff like. I mean, that's going to be very different. We haven't seen that at all at OU, and so I'm I'm excited for that. Uh, kind of had kind of scratching my head a little bit. We didn't see any of that in the spring, and I think that was probably intentional. You don't want to put stuff like that on tape, maybe. Um, and also, too, I, I'm, I'm really curious to see what they're going to do with the alignment of the defensive backs. Of course, it's been just a meme amongst amongst OU fans, fans the last decade about how far the corners play off the wide receivers. Um, so, I, you know, there's going to be a lot of unanswered questions until they play Houston in three and a half weeks. But so right now, the, the, the big thing I care about is health, to be honest with you. And I don't know. Okay, Jalen Redmond as well. I I still think he's a he's a potential really really huge deal, and haven't really gotten much uh, much on him yet this camp. Yeah, we'll get to him in a moment. Let's play our first piece of sound during the main part of the show, and of course we all know the defense last season was really bad, and the players know it too. So I just wanted to play this soundbite from Deshaun White from Monday because I enjoyed what he had to say here. We've been through the worst. And that will never happen again. Like we will never go back to that. Like there's no way possible. I think it's just sort of a, a new standard. So I just like that. I like hearing him say that they know that they've been through the absolute worst. And here's the positive thing, Grant. They're never gonna go back to that. So that terrible defense we saw last year, it's never gonna happen again, according to Deshaun White. And I believe him. I do. Uh, yes, I so. also agree that they're not gonna put out the exact same defense as last year. Yes. Yes. If, is it going to be good? I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know yet. Right. I don't think it's going to be as bad, though. It might be slightly... It, at worst, it'll be slightly better. It's, I, I can't imagine it's going to be... It's going to be really hard for it to be worse. And, and yeah, I know... That's a good way to which, put it. Uh, which, which sucks, because we definitely said that at the end of 2017. <laughs> and then it most certainly was worse. So... Uh, yeah, okay, well... What I want to know, like, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot is what... What if they do come out and they play well and they have a lot of confidence and whatnot? What happens the first time they, they get 40 put on them? 
Because that's it's gonna happen. What what happens the first time they get burned a few times over the course of the game? Are they gonna start thinking, oh, here we go again? Yeah, or, probably. I mean, that's just the human, the human mentality. I mean, that's gonna be that's part of, that's built in too. I mean, Alex Grinch knows all this stuff. So because I mean, I, I mean they're really tough. Yeah, because the the tests that they're gonna face and the opening game, I mean, that's that's tough. That's 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 absolutely gonna be one of the ten best offenses in college football this year, and. And with Dana Holgerson running the show, he's he's had quite a bit of success, uh, quite a bit of success, putting points and yards up on OU defenses. Mm-hmm. And he's got I, I Derek King I think is probably one of the five best quarterbacks in the country. They got some good skill guys. Um, their offensive line is probably going to be bad, which is certainly going to be a you know an advantage for OU. But ah, getting getting way ahead of myself. I'm just yeah, say yeah. I, we got, we got I, I really want Houston. really want football to get here. It's just ugh. My God. Well, it's closer than ever right now. And let's talk about Jalen Redman. You brought him up a moment ago. Because I think we both believe the defensive front has a chance to be pretty good. And especially if Jalen Redman is back to full strength. So speaking of Redman, here's what we know. He was off to the side Monday morning at practice. I was there. I saw him off to the side. Uh, we were only there for the first 20 minutes, though. So you know, who knows what happened the rest of the time. But uh, at Media Day, Lincoln Riley said that he doesn't anticipate any limitations at all for Jalen Redmond. But I think it's fair to say, based on what we saw on Monday, it looks like Redmond's not fully integrated back into practice. So he's still getting eased along, it would seem. We haven't heard really any updates since Media Day. Calvin Thibodeau said a little bit about him on Monday, but there wasn't really anything new as far as his availability. I will say this, though. I think when and if, when and if we learn that uh, he's put the full pads on and he's taking contact. That'll be huge news because remember back when we had the uh, the doctor come on and give his thoughts on blood clots from a doctor's perspective. And the big takeaway for me was that from that was kind of like the uh, there'll be a big step taking contact if you've had blood clots before because at that point it, it seems like you're fully clear that they're not too concerned about any sort of uh, the contact opening up, you know, the blood not clotting, things like that. So I think once we find that out, hopefully we find that out at some point, that'll be big news. Uh, anything on Jalen Redmond? I mean, because there's again, there's not a whole lot here yet, unfortunately. I'm slightly concerned that they've been saying that he's full go and he's very clearly not full go. You know what? It like, and I, mean, I, I understand the limitations. I mean, they're still trying to ease him back on in. So. Sure, but like, what's if he's been cleared? I don't understand what's the, what's the holdup. That's fair. Yeah, this is this is where they're they're just not not a particularly transparent football program. It's 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 kind of and they never have been, but it's it's a little frustrating. Well, when it comes to the defensive line and uh, really the defense as a whole, Alex Grinch said something I liked at the local media day last Friday. So let's play that now. But our confidence stems from in this game is when I was at the University of Missouri, we were in the SEC, and we, we were too small to, to, to compete in the SEC. And then we ended up having two uh, SEC defensive players of the year were, were undersized defensive linemen. So you take that scheme, the, 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 the core of that scheme, uh, Dave Steck was the defensive coordinator, Gary Pink was the head coach, took the, the core of that scheme out to, to Washington State, and we had the defensive player of the year was an defensive, undersized defensive lineman for us there. And so when you walk into Oklahoma, this isn't just – you know, let's let's try and see if we can get small and, and, and be faster and, and all those things. So there's a track record there of those those type of guys uh, having success. So that's Alex Grinch. Grant, your takeaways from that? Did you like that he brought up those previous examples where some undersized players and those defensive players of the year in the SEC was Michael Sam and Shane Ray, and then at Washington State it was uh, Hercules Mataafa, who we. We've talked about before in this podcast multiple times about how he was an undersized defensive lineman, interior lineman, and was great in the Alex Grinch scheme. Did you like that uh, that soundbite from Grinch? Yeah, I mean these are this is this is essentially the evidence that a lot of us are using to predict that Neville Gallimore is going to have a massive season. Uh, nobody knew who Hercules Mataafa was until Alex Grinch got to Washington State, um, and then he I mean, he was one of the, he was probably the most productive defensive lineman in the country that season. Um, and then Neville Gallimore has put some good ball on. Neville Gallimore was the best player on the defense last year. If you just watch closely, he he was. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, yeah, I mean, this is basically this is what we're going off of right now because it's really all we got. 
And I think I think the Sooners do have th- this. The defensive line is certainly I think their strongest position group on the defense, and um, I think that's what excites people the most and thinks, hey, maybe maybe this is is evidence that this defense can can turn it around a little bit this year, just because I do think they're going to be getting into the backfield a lot more, and that's a big deal. Um, create negative plays behind the line of scrimmage, sacking the quarterback, even with a even with a porous secondary or or. Uh, or a defense that gives up a lot of busts and whatnot. I mean, yeah, if you can if you can get tackles for loss and you can put pressure on the quarterback, that can really mask a lot of deficiencies on your defense. And I think that's... Yeah, that's true. And the Sooners are still going to have quite a bit of deficiencies this year in the back end. I mean, they're, they're going to get burned a lot this year. Um, but I'm really starting to think, I, I think the front seven is, is going to be in the backfield quite a bit, and I think that's going to make a huge difference. And we have a piece of audio from Deshaun White here in a moment. Uh, with some some good evidence that that's already happening in practice about the the defensive lineman getting upfield. More on that Grinch bite, though. I, I kind of just enjoy the fact that Grinch got up there and he's basically saying, hey, listen, I'm not just bringing in some gimmick defense that's never worked before. This style of defense has worked with undersized and lesser-known players in the SEC, and it also worked, by the way, with even lesser-known players in the Pac-12. And the track record there is... You know, there's some success there, and I think that's relevant. So I like that he was basically saying that, and this is the kind of stuff that kind of gets me fired up and more excited to watch this defensive line because you throw Gallimore, obviously, in there. We're hoping that Jalen Redmond's going to be healthy. you got Ronnie Perkins, who is a talented player, and then I think Laron Stokes is going to be a starter. Haven't heard a whole lot of him yet in camp, but uh, he's one of those guys that's somewhat undersized but not really in a way. Uh, so there's some guys up there that are talented, I think, and if they're unleashed and they're better utilized in this scheme, that's going to be fun to watch. So I'm I'm pretty fired up about the way the the front looks in this Oklahoma defense. Yeah, and that's and certainly when the first game comes along, when the defense is out on the field, that's what I'm going to be pay, paying attention to a majority of the time. How the defensive line is moving, what sort of gaps they're trying to shoot into. I think I think that is probably the most interesting part of of this new defense coming up here. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we're all excited to see Deshaun White this season playing a prominent role on this team. Uh, and he says the defensive line's ability to disrupt has made it easier on everybody else in practice. I think it's just our ability to run fast everywhere. Um, the D-line gets in the backfield a lot more than last year. They are very active, um, and they're always three, two, three yards in the uh, in the backfield, and that makes our job as linebackers a lot easier. Like I said, it feels like we can just run. There's no second guessing. You know, everyone has a job. You know, you do your job, you can do it at 100 miles per hour, and I think that makes it easy to me. Well, that's good to hear. They're getting in the backfield, two to three yards in the backfield a lot, a lot more than last year. Jeez, that so, doesn't sound good for the offensive line. That's I wanted. To, that was what I wanted to bring up because, because one, it's like they're disrupting a bunch, and it sounds like that one-gap scheme is allowing the guys to get off the ball, have some more fun, shoot some gaps, try to make more plays. But we can talk more about this maybe in the offensive part when we go to the offensive players. But, I mean, should we be kind of concerned about the offensive line based on that? I don't know. <laughs> to be fair, this offense has absolutely feasted on aggressive defenses, though, because of, because of all the misdirection and, and the counters and whatnot. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's possible. I mean, even on big runs, a lot of the times against other teams, there's, there's defensive linemen in the backfield all the time. Sometimes it's by design. So, and that's that's me just sun, that's that's me just throwing out something there. Eh, maybe it's not that bad, but yeah, it's hey, just hey, funny. It, it's kind of funny to talk about because obviously the offensive line is a huge part of the offense. The offensive like line is going to go. It's going to go through some growing pains. Yeah, it's going to go through some growing pains for sure. That that is to be expected. And you know what? They weren't. They they were obviously you know good in September last year, but they weren't great. They they weren't a Joe Moore award winning offensive line in September last year. It all it all came together. Uh, really during the Texas game is when it all came together. So um, there, there's always going to be growing pains, and that's okay. And we're going to hear from one of the new offensive linemen that's probably going to be starting this season, Adrian Ely, coming up in the show. He had some some good stuff to talk about the offensive line and just himself as well. So we'll get to that when we talk offense. Let's talk more about the secondary now, Grant. And at this point in the show, I want to announce a new policy. I'm not sure if you're going to have this same policy, but this is going to be at least my policy for the rest of well, I shouldn't say for the rest of the season, but until until I change my mind, until I've been proven or somebody proves me otherwise, I am no longer going to be referring to Brendan Radley-Hiles as Buki. 
He is now Brendan Radley Hiles or Radley Hiles on this podcast because, as we all know, as, as he knows, he, he had some growing pains last year. He struggled as a freshman. And you know what? Until he shows that he's improved and he's a better player, it sounds like he's having a good camp, but until he shows that he's a, a better player on the field, I'm not going to use his nickname, his very cool nickname. I'm just going to call him Radley Hiles. So that's my policy. I will probably end up breaking that multiple times just out of bad habits, but I uh, just wanted to announce that right now on the show. Grant, will you also be adopting this policy, or are you going to continue to call him Buki? I am going to continue to call him Buki because it seems like that's what he prefers to be called. Okay. And that is just called common decency and politeness. Well, here's the thing. I'm one of those guys that actually, I'm not a big fan of nicknames. I think it's more polite and common, more common decency to call people by their actual names because that's what names their parents gave them. And that seems nice to me. So. But what if, what if the human being that you're dealing with says, hey, I prefer this nickname, though? All right, well, yeah, I guess that's fine. But I, I see what you mean. There's, I, there's, there's certainly been times, like, a lot of my close, I, I have a lot of close friends who people call them nicknames, but I just call them by their first name. And, and it's, it's basically my sort of way of showing them respect. Exactly. Um, but that's a good way to put it. Yeah, but I mean, if if they prefer to be called by their nickname, and it sounds like Buki kind of he he goes exclusively by Buki, so I'm gonna call him Buki. But you you do you, man. You can do what you want. Well, I bring up Brendan Radley Hiles because we got some sound from him, and he comes off. He's a very confident, very nice guy, and he seems like he enjoys answering questions from the media. He's very open and upfront. Uh, so here he is about the positives of having so many players returning who had time on the field last year in the secondary maturity maturity like i said before we all have our bruises we all took our lumps early and we're coming back swinging it's all about like coach grinch says it's all about how you respond you know it's just our respond mindset you know standing on all of our ten toes set your jaw and keep swinging so there's more experience they're more mature uh we learned from alex grinch at media day that radley hiles is playing the nickel position so i think officially we can all give up any of those random hopes of him playing cornerback so, you know, for the second straight year, Grant, for the second straight fall, I, more specifically, he's just one of the more intriguing players on the Oklahoma defense. But, you know, this year I think it's for completely different reasons because last year we were super excited and he had all the hype, and now it's like, oh, is he going to improve? So we'll see. Yeah, I don't know. He certainly, he certainly was not good last year. And there's, there's some <laughs> thank, questions about whether you, or not Grant. he was – there's there's some questions about whether or not he was healthy as well, and I think yeah, those that's are fair. That's, that's fair. That's fair. Um, it sounds like he's going to have plenty of opportunities this year to prove everybody wrong. All right, and the last thing on the defense, eh, I might have more, but let's talk about the secondary. I know you brought this up a couple times. We kind of laugh about it, but you know, Robert Barnes was obviously uh, trucked over in the Orange Bowl by uh, Josh Jacobs. And uh, yeah, we kind of make a fun murder of that. happened on that field it's, that night. I mean, it's yeah, it's really difficult to tackle people sometimes, and yeah, it's, oh, tackling sucks. It's yeah, literally it's, the worst. Everyone here who has played football, and I, I know there's some people who who like the contact and whatnot, but tackling is very hard and it's painful and it sucks. That's the thing. You're trying to tackle a guy who's running downhill as all of his speed built up, and you're trying to just impede him, and it's difficult. And Robert Barnes was ran over. So uh, he was asked about that the other day at practice. So I figured since we talk about it every once in a while on the show, let's bring it up here and have Barnes explain himself. And uh, by the way, it was Eric Bailey from the Tulsa World who asked him the question. So you're going to hear Eric's voice in here as well. So here's Robert Barnes. I mean, it was just poor fundamentals on the tackle. Um, I should have just shot it. Um, I didn't. Um, it's football. I mean, things like that happen. But I mean, I, I, I definitely been playing it over and learn from it and just I'm, I'm ready to attack this season. That was the next question. How often do you look at that play over and over and just kind of break it down as much as possible? I mean not I don't I don't harp on on the bad. I don't mm -hmm. harp on the, on any of the negative. Um, I mean it's it's something that happened. Um, I mean in football you're going to get knocked down. It's, it's about how many times you can get up from it and, and learn from it and, and, and use those failures to move yourself forward and to become a better player. So that's my guy Robert Barnes. He did a really good job answering that question. That's a stupid question, but he did a really good job answering hey, it. Well, I mean, we, people have been talking about it. He, 
you know, Eric wanted to know about it. And that's, a, you know, if he wouldn't ask the question, we would have never heard about uh, Barnes's perspective on that play all these uh, all these months later. But yeah, sure, he did I mean, a nice but, job. I mean, but it was still I mean, he 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 answered it in a professional cliched way, though. Yeah. And. Yeah, I just wanted to get I don't, that out Yeah, there. I guess I, I'm just more... I, I, I'm coming at it from the uh, from the perspective of an athlete. Of, of course he's aware that he got destroyed on that play. Sure. Like, it's, it's just... A, it's a silly question in my book. It is. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm just happy that Barnes is out there. He's full go. He said he's healthy. He's backed 100%. Injuries have been the concern for him always. You know, I, I like him. I think he's... I'd like him to play nickel at this point. I don't think he's going to be playing that position. I, I think he's going to either be a free safety or a strong safety. I'm not sure which one he is. So I think my prediction of him playing nickel is terrible. and It's not going to happen. So he's got to beat out potentially Patrick Fields, Delarian Turner, Yell. They're the safety spot. Barnes has the experience. He's got seniority. If he's 100% healthy, I think he should win a starting job. I'm just happy he's back out and fully healthy, and I hope he can stay healthy. I want to talk a little bit about Chance Sylvie. I don't have any sound from him, but I just kind of found it interesting. We haven't heard from Sylvie much at all. He's coming back from that Achilles injury. He's a player, too. I mean, he could get a role. He, he could win a starting job at safety. And Lincoln Riley said that he's kind of back to his old self in the spring. He was still trying to kind of work through it, pushing through his rehab. So that means that when he was playing in the Orange Bowl against Alabama, he still well, he wasn't that close to 100% healthy, but he was able to push through. But uh, <laughs> I found out that Chance Sylvie, apparently, he interned this summer, Grant, at Walmart for a few weeks. And uh, his job is unclear. I didn't quite get that. I'm going to credit Keegan Renault from Sooners Wire because he was the one who was asking these questions. So if it wasn't for Keegan's questions, we wouldn't have gotten to the bottom of this. Uh, and then Ryan Aber from the Oklahoman found out that Chance Sylvie wants to work for the CIA or the FBI one day. He's a political science major. So this isn't really football related, but it's just more like the person Chance Sylvie related. I found that to be kind of interesting because... When I think of football players and the FBI, former Bears cornerback Charles Tillman is now a member of the FBI. And that's what made me – I was like, oh, man, I mean, that's a thing that at least one football player has done, has gone on to, to work for the FBI. So I just kind of found that interesting that Chance Sylvie wants to, to work, uh, sounds like, for the government one day and be a investigator or something. So – do you have yeah, anything to add on this? If not, we'll just move on. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, it's that's good for him, man. It's that's that's awesome. It's it it is it is very good to have to have career goals when you're in college. Hot take. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's talk offense. This is not going to be as formal. I mean, you've said in the past. Was it last week? You're saying, hey, when the offense comes up, you kind of roll your eyes. Yeah, it's boring. They're going to be good. The, off- the offense is going to be really good this year. It's it's all going to be. Just how good? It's either going to be, I mean, it's it's either going to probably be very good to spectacular. It just depends on what it's going to be, and pretty much, and I think that essentially just depends on how well Jalen Hurts throws the ball. Essentially. So let's hit on a couple just random things then. So let's. You mentioned Hurts. Let's start with Hurts. I mean, he's out there. I have seen him a couple times. He's been out at practice for interviews afterwards. He's been staying afterwards after practice, getting more work in. By himself, he seems like he's always the last guy to leave the practice field. So that's promising, I would imagine. And I did get a chance to ask C.D. Lamb about Jalen Hurts on Tuesday night, and here's what he said. Got a guy like Jalen in camp who's played all this college football in his career, but it's his first time, obviously, with you guys. How much does he lean on players like you who have been in the system for so long and pick your brain and kind of get advice and stuff like that? Kind of a lot because he's he's more of a learner. Uh, when he come in and get the – when he, he, he never knows enough, you know. So with him, it's always a, like, what do I got to do on this and what are you doing, you know. So And then a guy like that, you can't do nothing but help. Uh, me, I'm a, I'm a helping guy. I, can't, I wish the best for everybody, so – with him being so open to me is is great on my part. So uh, it sounds like we're still hearing all the right things about Jalen Hurts, Grant. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, this is Jalen Hurts. His his bit is that he's a great leader and he's a really hard worker. And it sounds like that's that's what's happening. I saw I, I saw like the little kind of the pictures that were that were taken of him last night. Him him staying late. I think he was with Michael Jones. That that's that's who he was with. Do you remember Michael Jones? He's still on the team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw him with Michael Jones on Monday too after practice. So that must be they must be getting a bit of a rapport 
after practice. So Mike Kell's trying to to show that, hey, man, I need to I need to roll again in this offense, it would seem. So good on him. Spencer Rattler's out there. Just other quarterback thoughts. I mean, not a whole lot we can see. We're only out there for 20 minutes one time. He's wearing number seven. He is throwing the football like a quarterback does. Uh, nothing really to add there. I don't know if there's anything you want to add about Spencer Rattler. because Excited to watch him play against South Dakota in week two. <laughs> essentially i mean that's that's yeah. when we're that's when we're going to see him for the first time presumably i guess maybe a fun question that may not be fair to tanner mordecai but by the end of this camp is it possible that it's jalen hurts number one and spencer rattler actually the backup quarterback and tanner mordecai the third string quarterback no i don't really think so to be honest yeah. with you but uh, also i i don't i mean i'm not i mean rattler or mordecai has that experience he knows the offense obviously a lot better than rattler does so and the reviews on Mordecai still are like really good. I still we're 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 still letting the spring game sort of drive a lot of our opinions of of Mordecai. And he looked really bad in the spring game, but everything else we've heard about Mordecai the last couple of years has been overwhelmingly positive. So no, I, I, Mordecai is going to be the backup. He's 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 been there a year longer. He's more seasoned. I, it just it just makes more sense. And then if Spencer Rattler gets in against South Dakota and he starts tearing it up, and it looks like the game is very slow for him, then then maybe discussions will be had, but it's, I, I don't think there's going to be any surprises with the quarterback battle whatsoever. I was thinking too about when that decision will be made. And I think I said, what did I say? Like the 20th or the 21st, it was my super exact prediction about when they're going to name Jalen Hurts, the starting quarterback. I started looking at the August media availability again. And I noticed that from, I believe August 13th, which is a Tuesday, next Tuesday, to I think August 19th, there's a window there. Maybe it's even August 12th to the 19th, so almost a week window there where there's nothing scheduled for media availability. And it kind of made me think, and think, oh, what if they've already pre-planned a dead week in there because they know that in the middle of that week they're going to go ahead and make a, an announcement of a quarterback then. So a little conspiracy theory here after I looked at the – the media schedule again for this August. So maybe the quarterback Put on that tinfoil hat, baby. <laughs> maybe the quarterback decision will come even earlier than I thought in that kind of random dead week where they're not going to have any sort of media or anything. I'm totally expecting it to be a week and a half before the first game, like it has been. Bradley's so yeah, that like, was my initial. I don't know. Initial geniuses yeah. like that are very calculated. They do the same thing over and over again. Yeah. You know, That's routine That's... R- routine is is good. I mean, successful people follow routines, and I I don't I don't know if this is going to be any different. What what would be really interesting is to go back to twenty six or uh, to twenty seventeen to see when they named Kyler Murray the backup quarterback. Because remember, there was like a little kind of faux battle going on between him and Austin Kendall, and it was always going to be Kyler Murray, just like last year was always going to be Kyler Murray. But if I had to guess, I think we probably found that out when they did the depth chart reveal because they're not yeah gonna you're right sort of now that i think about it you're right backup yeah. quarterback because it was obviously mayfield was which i'm pretty sure was show. game week right it was uh yeah yeah like right at the beginning of game week i think yeah that sounds about right maybe on the monday or that tuesday so how about the offensive line gonna be a big topic replacing four starters we had a chance to talk to adrian ely on tuesday night and honestly man he he was really good i haven't talked to Ely before uh, I asked him about Creed Humphrey because now we got Creed back in camp here he did not practice in the spring and so I really enjoyed Ely's answer to this question what's the biggest difference of having Creed back with you guys in practice compared to the spring when you sit now oh that's a big difference um, you know Creed he's a he's a one-of-a-time man and um, <laughs> you don't see too many like Creed so uh, I felt that you know, Creed being in the class with some of the old linemen that's playing right now, we just more comfortable with them. You know, it is you can you can tell the chemistry is just looking way better than what it was in the spring. And now we just focusing on each and every day of this camp. So for the first game, we could ready to roll. So obviously, this is a podcast, so you can't see any video. You couldn't see Adrian Ely's face, but whenever he said that Creed was one of a kind, he kind of had a smile, and it just makes you kind of think. <laughs> Cree almost seems like some sort of living legend right now in the offensive line room and maybe just on the offense in general because of uh, I know how big thing is how strong he is. He's like maybe the strongest guy on the team, him and Neville Gallimore. 
and he's just really good too. So I mean, he clearly has a lot of clout with the rest of the team, especially the offensive line room. So and you it is know, really good to have him back. You just know, like when he said, "Man, Creed is is like a one of a kind guy." You know exactly what that means. You know that Creed Humphrey is just a goofy dude. You know it. That that's what he means by that. <laughs> he's a leader though, and he gets the guys going. Oh yeah, I mean that's that. I mean that can always be a you know humor and stuff like that and being goofy around your teammates is very endearing so um and this this is me just totally speculating but i mean look at the guy you know he just cracks jokes all the time (laughs) well it's good to know that the chemistry is looking a lot better than the spring whenever oklahoma was trotting out walk-ons at center (laughs) to uh to run through drills so i would hope the chemistry is a lot better now that creed humphrey's back in there so positive news there I will say more from Ely. Eddie Radosevich from Sooner Scoop asked him a question, a follow-up question, and uh, I thought Eddie got a pretty good response from Ely. So take a listen here. I feel like your time's come a little bit. Yeah, man, I've been behind the scene for a minute now, and uh, <laughs> you know, and I guess I've been around some great tackles, and um, uh, you know, it's all that's all a part of college. You got to wait your turn, and you know, God bless me to come to this spot, and I feel like it's my time. You know, if you couldn't hear it that well, Eddie said, do you feel like your time has come a little bit? And then Ely said that he's been behind the scenes for a minute now and kind of laughed. Uh, he was very complimentary of Orlando Brown, Ben Powers, Cody Ford the other night, just their leadership and that they kind of showed him the ropes. And you know, he knows it. He knows he's played behind some really talented players. And finally, he gets the feeling, Ely, that, okay, my time is here. So I, I anticipate him to be a starter. I, I had him as my starting right tackle when we did the starting predictions i think in june our most recent one uh, so i don't see any reason why i should change that right now so really nice talking to adrian ely yeah and this is um this is bill Bedenboe's vision it's it, it really is you know as as a freshman and a redshirt freshman you come in you learn you learn the system uh, you play you play behind guys who have done the exact same thing, and then by the time that you're you know you're in your third year in the program, you're ready to step up. This is what Wisconsin has been doing for decades, and they have a great offensive line every single year. So, um, and and, th- and this is really what Beatenbow has done ever since he's been here. And so, I mean, it always kind of seems like there hasn't been a ton of turnover on the offensive line, and it's because of this system. This is. This is how it works, and because I'm trying to think. I mean, I know Samia and Orlando Brown came in and played as as for, or Samia played as a true freshman. Brown was a redshirt, but offensive line's hard to learn. It, it really does take uh, a lot of get, uh, you know, a lot of reps at the college level and practice and in the weight room and whatnot. And this is what you're going to see with this year's starting offensive line: dudes who maybe not are incredibly experienced in terms of game action. But they've been in this program for a long time. They've seen some really good offensive line play and played behind some really good guys. And it's not like these guys and not, not not like these these guys coming up are just nobodies. And these guys are these are blue chip recruits. These guys are ready to play. Um, and so, like I said, there's there's going to be some growing pains. That's always the case with an offensive line. But these dudes are talented and they're athletic. And I think by the end of the season, we're going to see probably an outstanding offensive line back to maybe not to the standard of last season, but certainly up to Oklahoma standard the last three or four years. And Oklahoma needs that obviously, because as you mentioned before on the show, bad offensive line play or mediocre offensive line play, you can just kiss your chances of winning anything important. Goodbye. I mean, that's where it all starts. You can't run the ball. You can't block. You can't do anything. And things break down the offensive line. Your team's just not going to be very good. You're going to make mistakes and you're going to have problems. Although, and I think I mentioned this either last week or a couple weeks ago, I think it is worth mentioning. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not impossible to have a really good team with with kind of a suspect offensive line. And I said, um, 2009 was was the last time in my you know OU fan memory they their offensive line was legitimately bad. Like it was actually maybe in the bottom half of of, of Power Five football. Um, since then, I think the worst offensive line they've had was in 2015 when a lot of guys were young with Orlando Brown. I mean, they, Jonathan Alvarez started pretty much every single game that season and they went to the college football playoff. So it's, you know, especially I think in this type of system 
where things are spread out a little bit. And Lincoln Riley has obviously tweaked this a lot more. They're, a lot of what they do is predicated on the running game and then, and then the play action uh, that they can get off of that. But sometimes it's, it, it's possible to scheme around a, a bad offensive line sometimes, especially when you have the skill talent and uh, you know, when you move at tempo as well helps. All right, great. The last thing on the offense I have today is a soundbite that I think is going to make you pretty happy. It's from Trey Sermon. We got a chance to talk to him Tuesday night. I asked him a question, and uh, I have the whole question here. So I'll just play this, and then I'll let you react to it. You know it's like to come in here and be the new guy on the block. <coughs> now you're the veteran running back. Any of the other running backs, the new players, have they done anything so far in camp that really stood out to you that you makes you kind of go, all right, that guy knows what he's doing? Uh, Mondre, actually, uh, just the way he runs the ball is just so smooth. He kind of reminds me of Jamal Charles, and uh, I just like that running style a lot, really. All right, Grant, the floor is yours. You heard, it, you heard it from Trey Sermon. Confirmed. The Sooners are basically adding Jamal <laughs> Charles in his prime to this offense. Oh, man. You've mentioned you think Ramondre Stevenson is actually going to be what? Do you think their third running back behind uh, Sermon yeah, he's and Brooks? A, he's a stud. That was, that was a total steal, getting him from Juco. He's a stud. Well, there you go. That's the first. I mean, I, you know, I just was curious to see what he would say, and the only person he brought up was Ramondre Stevenson and just because the way he, like, he likes the way he runs. So... That's significant. And let me let me preface this though. Let me preface it. He's a stud when the ball is in his hands. There's other parts of being a running back. There are some mental aspects to it. Um, and I think a lot of the time that that can sometimes prevent guys from getting on the field. Like I argued last year, one of the reasons why Kennedy Brooks probably wasn't playing as much earlier in the season was because of those small details. Yeah, that's he would a good miss point. a block here, or he would make a mental mistake here. And uh, in OU's offense, that I mean, that's a no-no. You can't do that. So. Um, I think if, if Ramondre Stevenson comes on and he shows an aptitude to to understand where he's supposed to be at times and he can pick up pick up blocks and whatnot, get the ball in his hands, and he's a guy who is absolutely going to cause some damage. He's an explosive guy. I also asked Trey Sermon about Marcus Major, who is a running back from Millwood High School here in Oklahoma City, and he's a player that former Oklahoma fullback J.D. Runnels, I think, uh, a year or two ago, kind of mentioned major kind of in the same breath as an Adrian Peterson coming out of high school and that's according to JD Runnels and Runnels is a guy that played with Adrian Peterson so uh I mean Peterson obviously was the number one player in the in the country uh, that's correct right he was the number one player in the country back coming out of high school okay yeah. yes he was Marcus Major yep. was a three-star recruit uh four-star recruit actually I think uh, depending on the the recruiting service good player I saw him play at Millwood a few times I certainly didn't really think when I've saw him a, you know, a handful of times of Adrian Peterson uh, JD's seen him a lot more than I have so he his, his opinion on that certainly is uh, is noted but anyways uh, Trey said that he thinks Marcus Major looks good too and he you know he's obviously he's new so he's got a lot of work to do but uh, just wanted to bring that up as well on uh, the running back room wasn't the bit wasn't the bit with Marcus Major is that at Millwood he was just like criminally underutilized? I don't know enough about the high school scene here. I mean, obviously I've been around the last couple of years and, and covering it. The games I went to and maybe a handful the last two years, it did seem like you would think that he would get the ball a lot. He didn't get the ball as much in the you know the short times I was there as much as you'd think. I mean, I'd show up for you know a quarter or two and then I have to go somewhere else and shoot a different game. That's just the what we got to do in local TV news when we're doing high school football. We can't be there for the entire game. But, yeah, I mean, there was times where I figured I'd be able to get a lot of Marcus Major tonight, and he only maybe would get three or four touches in, like, maybe the 10, 15, 20 minutes I was there, which, yeah, I always kind of thought that was interesting. But, I mean, there was a lot of other athletes on that team and good players. So, I mean, I think they were trying to spread the ball around and get other guys some looks, too. Maybe that was the the idea there. But, I mean, Millwood, they've won the, uh, the state title multiple times. They're one of the best teams in Class 2A. So okay, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. So maybe that is maybe maybe their their head coach and their system there is just very much team oriented. They don't really build around one guy, um, because I mean that's very that's very atypical of of high school football. If you got a stud, you sure. just you feed him the rock literally every single play. That's how high school. And works. They had another guy on the team, and I I apologize to the kid because he he's a really good player, and I think he committed to Texas or no he. It was Texas, and he decommitted, and he, I think maybe it's Houston now, and I'm blanking on his name, so I apologize. Wide receiver, really nice player. 
So, I mean, they had other Division One talent on the team, and they probably have more Division One talent on the roster as well. Like Demarion yes. Houston, yes, is that the thank guy? You. Uh, real nice kid. So he, I believe it's Houston. He's going to uh, now. Now I'm just going to Google just to make sure, because I think it was originally Texas, and then something. Uh, no, I'm sorry, Nebraska. It's Nebraska. That's right. Because I remember asking him uh, questions about Nebraska after he committed, and kind of his feeling how they want to utilize him in in their offense and Scott Frost and that's hey it's pretty cool he's kind of the up and coming young coach anyways uh, so yeah they had they had some D1 talent on that team so I mean the ball was spread around they have more too so uh, that running back room the depth there is is pretty pretty crazy at Oklahoma uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of any other nuggets and tidbits anything that you're curious to want to ask about I don't know if I'd have the answer but uh, no, I mean, I, here's here's something I want to talk about because I I know we haven't talked about it yet, and this this broke, oh, I think maybe last week or or a couple weeks ago, um, but Lee, the first game against Houston is going to be a whiteout at yeah. night at yeah. Owen Field, and I am, I just I cannot put the rubber stamp on this more. <laughs> the whiteout is by far the best crowd bit running in in the world right now and i'm very happy that that decision was made it is much better than the stripe the stadium nonsense whiteouts are so cool and are always cool and they honestly should do it for every home game because it's so cool now i'm looking that up again because i want to get the information apparently it was a twitter poll a twitter poll and oh i oh, voted in it i voted in it hard yeah it's and honestly the the whole Giving it shouldn't even be like an option. Just just do the whiteout. It's obvious, and I'm sure there's probably going to be a lot of people. Oh, I don't have any white clothes. Buy some. It's cool. It's gonna be. It's gonna be something you remember forever. It's such well, a question. Cool will site. be is will there be white shirts sitting on different seats and stuff? Because I wouldn't be surprised in the student section if if there's white shirts. But it's a football game, so it's a. I can't imagine they're gonna have you know a hundred thousand or whatever Oklahoma Stadium holds these days shirts for everybody. Uh, because I get NBA basketball games and college basketball games, there's fewer people in the crowd, and they can put out white shirts for everybody to put on when they get to the game. Well, I mean, it's—I don't think they're going to do that. It's in the past they've just told they've just told you know what yeah. color to wear and what section you are. Because if you recall, uh, yeah. Lee, you and I attended the very first striped stadium game when yeah, they I'm played Notre to, Dame yeah, I'd in like 2012. To keep that game, uh, out of my mind. It was cool. The atmosphere was. Sp- spectacular one of the best atmospheres of any game i've ever been to yeah they but they it lost. was the first time they lost at home in a long time <laughs> no it wasn't they oh, lost, right. they lost uh, to texas tech like a year they lost the year before that to texas tech oh that's yeah. what it was it was the first time a game that we attended that they had lost at home at home yeah that one maybe that ever, one sucked. Right? i think yeah ever yeah that's still the that's still the only home game that i've attended yeah, that I mean, they've I mean, lost we to, you know those went to a bunch of home games uh, for a period of time yeah yeah no i'm excited for that i mean i guess you could make the argument and you could poo poo it a little bit because isn't that what penn state's all about the whiteout they're kind of ripping off penn state but at this point whiteouts everybody does it's not that. a ripoff a whiteout is a a whiteout's a thing like everyone like the miami heat do that for every single playoff game because it looks cool and it, it fires people up for whatever reason i don't know why That'd um be cool. hopefully yeah. in the stadium for that i'm uh, just gonna yeah. throw this out here I'm just gonna throw this out here because I I don't think you can mention it enough because we're talking about you know winning streaks and, and different venues and whatnot. Sooners still haven't lost on the uh, on in a, in a true road game since October first, two thousand and fourteen. <laughs> that is just absolutely insane. And it's a it's it, it's to the point now where I think it's a mentality. This is something that they really drive home with them to just kind of and and I've always this is this is what I've always expected as well or kind of presumed as well it's got to be so much fun to play on the road in college oh, yeah. football like i would eat that i would eat that oh, up man. i mean you hear athletes all the time say versions of the following it's even better when the crowd is silent because we shut them up compared to whenever the crowd's going crazy because you're making them cheer at home you know that's like uh i've heard that from many athletes in many different sports about how just the feeling of shutting up the crowd and its silence is so cool on the road and yeah i mean i could i can imagine that would be pretty sweet knowing that you've rendered 60 to ninety thousand people just kind of like yeah they, they hated everything they just saw <laughs> that's why i mean that's why man when they went on the road and they won in the horseshoe that is so, i mean just 
absolutely just one of the best OU football games of all time. Yeah. And and also I think I think one of the more underrated ones because I think people forget about it because the end of the season didn't go very well. Uh, but when they went on the road in 2011 and beat Florida State was a really cool one too. That was a fired up crowd. Um, that that's also one of my favorite games that a lot of people forget. I think you can go all the way back to would it be 2002 when they beat Bama in Tuscaloosa? That was 2003. Okay. That was the Jason White Heisman. It was Brandon Jones, the the, the fake mm-hmm. punt and bomb. So it was uh, for, or Blake Ferguson, the fake punt to, uh, to I'm pretty sure, Michael Thompson. And the very next play was uh, was Brandon Jones, like a 50-yard yep. bomb. So, yeah, I've heard that atmosphere that night was pretty insane as well in Tuscaloosa, which you would expect. And that was before Alabama was really Alabama again. But still, I mean, they love their college football down there. Was Brody Croyle the quarterback then? <laughs> I do not remember, but he definitely was the quarterback in like oh, probably oh four ish, oh five. So he might have been. Well, that's all. Very first play of that game, Derek Strait picked off whoever played quarterback, or picked off uh, yeah the quarterback for Alabama, whoever it was. Let's see. That's too. That's just boring. I can't find it quickly enough. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's all I have. I'm out of sound. Uh, anything else you want to add? I'm good. All right, that Not was really. a little tired than I thought it would be. thought it might go a little longer today, but uh, appreciate all the sound bites because that kind of drove the show. And uh, you can expect we'll have. Actually, oh, I do ahead. have. I do have one thing. I do when when you were at practice last night. Were they like were they in full pads? What was the bit? What, what were they doing? Oh man. Or was it just shells? I can't remember. I'm not doing a very good job of being person on the ground. I know when we were there Monday, it was just shells. By now, practice four, they I, I they had to have been in full pads, but I honestly don't remember. I didn't even look for it, so I'm sorry that I don't know that. Because, uh, I mean, based on Oklahoma State, I mean, three practices in for Oklahoma State, they were already in full pads, so. Uh, but I don't know for sure. I can't remember. All right, we'll do better. <laughs> do better next time. Noted. I will. All right, that's our show. We'll have more hot Sooners football talk coming up next week. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.